0: Hey everyone, this is Dan. Welcome to Eventually Super Train, episode 77. We're a short-lived TV show podcast covering TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. We cover the shows in each episode uh, three segments at a time, three three episodes at a time in three segments across the episode. In this episode, we begin with Amy the Conqueror and myself discussing episode... Gosh, 16 of Erie, Indiana. Then Mitchell Hadley and myself discussing episode 27 of Bourbon Street Beat. And then my podcast pal Amanda Reyes and I discussing episode 9 of Masquerade. Enjoy.
1: Erie, Indiana. Day 45. I knew my hometown was going to be different from where I grew up in New Jersey. But this is ridiculous. Nobody believes me. But Erie is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. Item, a guy that looks suspiciously like Elvis lives on my paper route.
2: Thank you, little paper boy.
1: Item, Bigfoot eats out of my trash. Item, a bizarre housewife called in town has been sealing up their kids in giant rubber kitchenware so they don't age. And now, just when I thought things couldn't get any worse, I discovered that an eerie, even man's best friend, is up to no good. When I try to tell this to my family, they just think I'm weird. Better weird than dead.
0: Indiana, episode 16, The Loyal Order of Corn, directed by Brian Spicer, written by Michael Kasut, C-A-S-S-U-T-T, March 22nd, 1992. In this one, Marshall's dad has joined the Royal Order of Corn, which is, you know, sort of a the lodge, poobah, grand poobah lodge kind of thing um, for... Uh, eerie, and they all wear corn-related hats, and they have had. Yeah, it's a lodge. It's a guy's lodge. It's it's kind of goofy as that implies, and you know they have the kind of nice little setup that's a little chintzy looking, and they have a bartender there who looks like a very familiar um, Uncle Martin. Well, I just gave it away who it was, but the bartender's Ray Walston and uh, John Aston's character, the guy who runs the world of, of 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 stuff now, is seems to be in charge. And uh, Marshall and Simon are there because uh, Marshall's mom has expressed some worry about how much time his dad is spending there. And so Marshall goes to check out what's happening. And he sees that his dad dad is possibly building something or making something for them. And they kind of have the main lodge room. And then they have another sort of secret room that they go into that you can't quite see and they can't quite in quite get into uh, marshall and simon and so they try to figure out what the royal order of corn is it seems a little more in eerie fashion stranger than it should be but guess who is the bartender's assistant yes it's the gray-haired kid oh boy and he gives them grief as he normally does and things get weirder as the episode goes along. We're gonna we're gonna talk about it as we go because there's some I think important stuff that happens in this episode, but I I'm gonna stop right there. Suffice it to say we're trying to find out what is at the heart of this like hundred year old lodge that exists in the center of Erie, Indiana, and who exactly is the grey haired kid. Alright. Take a deep breath, everyone. Count to three, and Amy the Conqueror and myself will be on the other side. Welcome, brother Huskers, to the Royal Order of Corn episode of Erie, Indiana, and I have with me, uh, I, 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 Amy, Amy the Conqueror, who is, um, are you a fellow Husker? Is that what they're called, Amy? I don't know, I've forgotten now. Does that sound right?
1: Uh, I don't know. They have all different names.
0: Yes. Yeah. Depending I guess so. on
1: their uh, their level of mm. uh, involvement, I guess.
0: There's a lot of corn-related stuff. So I would stuff.
1: Say, no, I'm
0: not. Okay. okay. <laughs> so uh, how are you, by the way?
1: Eh, you know, I hurt my knee recently.
0: Fantastic. Oh, so would you tell me what you think of this episode?
1: Um, actually, I really like this episode.
0: Tell, tell me
1: more. <laughs> um, I what I liked was I liked their their funny little names like um, current the Kirtle, seedlings knee highs. That made me laugh. Um. I liked Ray Walston in it. Um, yes. cause Mr. Always we could see him. Um, yeah, I just, I thought it was a fun episode, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, um,
0: I like the fact that, yeah, like it's, you get John Aston and Ray Walston to, uh, to, uh, sort of leads from right. two of my, my favorite, uh, six, two of my favorite 60 sitcoms. I'm my absolute favorites, but, um, the Adams Family isn't as is as, as funny as I remember it being when I was a kid, but it's still very charming. And my favorite Martian is is more along the lines of like less like a comedy, more like a Hogan's Heroes, uh, Mission Impossible kind of thing, where like every episode is Uncle Martin's uh, ship has been stolen and they have to get it back before this time. And everyone is like they're much more stressful than I remember them being when I was a kid. I remember laughing more. But having said that. <laughs> Having said that, I do yeah. I, I am a big fan of, of, of Ray Walston, and it's it's great to see him in this playing spoiler an alien, which is great. Um. So uh. Right. uh um. Yeah. I, I think I, I really like this. The, the 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 thing I found interesting about this episode is it's it's pretty cosmic, and there's a lot of big stuff going on by the time you get to the end of it, and a sort of semi-revelation involving one of the characters yeah. and. And, and it's finally it's, <laughs> yes fine yes exactly and and but the, the interesting thing about it all is that the majority of it takes place in like one kind of lodge room one sort of smaller room that has a big tv in it the kitchen in marshall marshall's family's house and sort of just like in a little outside area right around the lodge so this could be the cheapest episode of the show it, it wasn't until the set I, I, I like it there's something about it where it's and I hate I'm, I always bring up Doctor Who but there's something about like like Doctor Who back in the day would tell a story where there'd be like an intergalactic war going on but it would all take but it would all like be the doctor his traveling companion and like a couple other people like in a, a couple of rooms in a hallway and at its best they would sell you. there's a story called the Armageddon Factor that does that where there's an eternal war going on between two planets and And there may be another planet involved. But you really, you're mainly in a couple of rooms and hallways. And generally it sells it. And that's kind of the way this is. There's this huge thing and there are aliens and they're sending this guy to explore. And this this alien race has kind of influenced humanity over the past hundred years. And there's this huge TV where Simon is sent to like Siberia and almost freezes to death. Yeah, I didn't know much, where
1: he was supposed to have gone. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was. I went with Siberia just because uh, Ray Walsh's character said that's where he landed originally. Ah, so,
1: okay. But it, okay. although,
0: although having said that, don't they mention Pluto at one point?
1: I thought they said Mars, and then that got me totally confused. I'm oh, like okay. Mars does not look like that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's
1: the and, red planet.
0: Yes, yeah, and and, and Pluto. I was going to say, I'm sure is very cold. But do you get like snow and glaciers on like Pluto? Right. I, I don't. I don't know how it works. I mean, I I, I just don't. I, I think you need an atmosphere, right? And does Pluto really sort of have that? I don't, I don't know. Um, um, unless Pluto's populated, I don't know. Um, that's another Doctor Who thing that I'm. I'm gonna stop doing that. But um, well, this I guess I guess this is a full-on sci-fi episode, so that's that's gonna come up. Oh, and yeah. they do have a moment where they walk in a room and they're like. Huh it's bigger on the inside than on the outside. Yeah, so, so I
1: mean, you'd be, you know, neglectful not mentioning Doctor Who right yeah,
0: now. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I like, I I think one of the things that, that I really like, just, just sort of its, its basic premise is that Marshall's dad has really gotten into this royal order of corn and he's building them something and it's driving Mom up the wall. So Marshall and Simon go there to specifically help his dad, which I like, because it's not—it's not like one where they accidentally wander into it, or something happens right. to them, or they look down an alley and something—you know—stuff st- like that. This one, they're very specifically like something's. My dad's sort of caught up in something, and my mom doesn't like it, so I'm going to try to see if I can help, and I like that. I, I right. like that. That's, that's a nice way to get them in there. And, of course, the Royal Order of Corn itself is absolutely ridiculous. So that, that you know, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> that, that helps.
1: Well, it was nice to see characters we haven't seen in a couple episodes like Andy and uh, – yes. The guy who used to run World of Stuff. That I can't yeah, remember. who's still
0: there? Who's now. still there? Yep. And, yeah, um, but it was
1: like in the middle for a while. A couple episodes, those guys were in every episode, and they were prominent. And then we don't see them for a few episodes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was happy to see them back, even in just small episodes.
0: Yes. Or yeah. small parts. I mean. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. This this has a, has a lot of stuff. So so tell me the the gray haired kid. What are your thoughts on him after this episode or during this episode or whatever?
1: You know, again, he's the I'm going to betray Simon and Marshall, (laughs) and then at the end, oh well, turn it around. I'll be a I'll be a good guy. Um, But this is the first time I've noticed uh, the marks on his hands, and I know that you had mentioned it in our last episode that you had noticed that, and I that totally I didn't see that, Um, and I think it's funny because it's clearly a plus and a minus, and he calls it Dash X, and that's now his name. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we have a name for him now. It's a Dash X.
1: And uh, but with Ned, Mr. Hand, Ray Walston having the same marks, it is kind of strange that he, they are they implying that Dash X is an alien or mm-hmm. not. I uh, yeah
0: yeah it's it's great because he says to him at one point like are you my father and 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 Ray Walston is like yeah it's it's. It's weirder than that, kid. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 and he has a great moment where he says like the answers you want are you know closer than you had expected and weirder than you'd ever imagined or so, right. something like that. Yeah. And so it's it's really kind of a nice moment when you, when you see the they both have the same things. I mean, my first my first thought was well, actually my first thought after the daylight savings time episode. My first thought was that this is the older gray haired kid, even older. Gray hair, you know, with proper gray hair, mm-hmm. way down the line, or something like that.
1: Ah, okay.
0: But I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. Although it could, have, it could be, it could be.
1: Um, well, you mentioned being the replacement. Like you, you could be yeah. my replacement. Like Th- that's, that's what uh, Ned mentioned to you, Dash X. Yeah,
0: because because there is the, there is a the thing where like the first time when Ray Walson's character is sent, um, something goes wrong and he has to rebuild and the TV and he's got that crystal thing and Marshall's dad is making like a universal remote control which is going to allow uh, uh, Mr. Hand or you know Uncle Martin to step back into this monitor and go home But and there is the thought I had with the replacement thing is that maybe Dash X was sent there by the same race of people possibly to fix whatever was happening ah. but, but again something went wrong and this time he like lost his memory in in the travels. Like maybe right. they don't. I mean, for for all we know, maybe they've sent a ton of people to to Earth, and and um, I, I don't know. I know. Yeah, I will say that you could see if you go back and watch No Brain, No Pain, and it's an okay episode. You'd be forgiven if you didn't want to go back and watch it, but. Um, You could see there are certain points on his when he's kind of like rubbing his chin, when he's taking money from Eunice, where you could see the dash and the X Uh on his, on his, on the backs of his hands. And I was like, I wonder if you could see those in the previous episodes. I wouldn't have thought to look for them. So, um, right. And I, I do like, I do like, oh, plus and minus. No, dash X. And I (laughs) think, is this, is this the episode or is it the next one? I forget where he says like, you guys are such a constant source of embarrassment to me. (laughs) <laughs> which I wish I really which I really like um, uh, what what else do you have on this um, so, oh do you want to talk about um, uh, the mom getting angry
1: <laughs> yeah and she uh, unplugs the the tools that um, Marshall's dad is using to make the universal remote but thankfully he's already done and then she puts the hat on and becomes a a husker or or whatever. a shucker or whatever. (laughs) A seedling. Yes. Like immediately. So they don't really get into what kind of mind control, I guess, is going on with those hats. I know it has something to do with the crystal, Mm -hmm. but I liked her enthusiasm. (laughs) She all of a sudden was was all about it and they didn't care. Like, Mm. you know, when they get to the place with her and uh, John Astin's character says, you know. Sorry, I know women aren't supposed to be here, and Mm. the guy, you know, Ned doesn't even care (laughs) because she has the remote.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. What what did you think about the moment when she she mentions that this this your Erie is very uh, paternalistic?
1: uh, I mean, I would think that that would be the case in Indiana. So I yeah, didn't really yeah, give yeah. it much
0: thought. <laughs> True, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, nothing against anybody in Indiana. And mm. this was 1991. <laughs> so. Yes,
0: yeah. And, and and in the previous episode, we had the political stuff. And now this one, we have the sort of
1: gender-related
0: right. um, moments. So I don't know, maybe, there, maybe that was the thing. Maybe if this show had gone on five or six seasons, it would have been the most political sort of um, uh, just on top of it just just hitting all the buttons and doing everything kind of uh, show, you know, like a, like a new all in the family. No, I don't know, that's not right. but you, you know what I mean? like <laughs> but for like, kids. but for kids and for fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so um, yeah, you know, you know what I um I, I think the reason why I really like this episode is one it, uh, Dash X has has uh, stuff to do. Uh, I like Simon accidentally going into the TV and being in the frozen space. Um, there's never a great feeling that like he's going to freeze to death. And he does yeah. say when he comes out, you know, if I'd only had some gloves, it would have been a lot of fun. So I don't think even he's that worried. Um, but at
1: some point he says, like you know, I'm having trouble breathing. <laughs> yeah, that's, so. true. that's true.
0: that was yeah. a little you know, confusing, <laughs> yeah, um uh, and and they do th- and it's interesting too, the way they shoot it. The way they shoot the TV is, until actually Simon goes up to the TV, the way they shoot it is kind of like behind the crystal with the TV in the background. So the crystal looks huge and the TV screen looks small. So they keep saying, that's the biggest TV screen I've ever seen. And I'm thinking, that looks pretty tiny. Until Simon actually walks up to it. You're like, oh yeah, that's a pretty big screen.
1: Yeah, if he can walk into it, it's big.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, And I do love the moment in the end where dash x is told to hang on he'll get some answers soon whether we'll get some answers soon that is something i don't know uh, which is a bit of a heartbreaker it's always yeah. a heartbreaker is uh, like like with voyagers and stuff there were things in that like like the the guy the uh, the, the the evil voyager guy yep. Yep. you know it's like oh what would have happened
1: oh yeah, and you're left with a cliffhanger that you're never going to get a resolution never to. Never going to. Yes, yeah.
0: and 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 the, the only thing you can do is like say go to the the creators and maybe ask them what they thought, but it's it's not quite the same. No. Nah. Um, you want to <laughs> see that play out? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and I, uh, and uh, before I was going to make the point I was going to make when um, uh, Ray Walston strolls in and sees Marshall and Dash X at the crystal and Simon in the screen uh, TV. It's great because Ray Walson has a broom in his hand that he's kind of moving like he's a ninja or something with it, like they're not, which is pretty, which is pretty amusing. Um, but uh, uh, I forget what I was saying. Oh yes, no, it was that at the very end when um, uh, Uncle Martin there says to Dash X, um, "Just hold on, you will you will get answers soon." Right before he steps in the TV and goes back to his home planet, hopefully. Uh, Hopefully they fixed it. I don't. I don't. You never know with these. Seem to be pretty goofy aliens. Um, As he's about to step in, he says to Marshall something like, "You want to come with me?" Of all the people I've met, you know, you seem the most open to this. And Marshall's like, "No, I should probably stay here." But there is something cool that he only meets Marshall for a few moments, right? and, And he's already like, "Yeah, you kid, you're, you're, um, maybe, maybe at some point when he was, um." Over the past century when because they say like they kind of invented radio and television and he was a little confused when Uncle Milty started getting in dresses. I think we probably all were. that's why we, we <laughs> our laughter was probably more hysterical and nervous than anything else. but I, I I wonder if there was a time maybe where he like maybe he encountered Marshall in the minute maybe you know, know. he's been, he's been there for a century. You know, maybe there's a moment where um, maybe he can see in Marshall's mind and see that he had other minds in there at one point, you know, in the previous episode or something. Maybe he sees Eunice and wants to, maybe he thinks maybe I can get to meet Eunice if I hang <laughs> out with Marshall. I don't know, but there there is something pretty great about Marshall, who is a character I like. I don't know that he's always a character that I love, but I, I like Marshall. Um, uh, but I like the fact that he, this alien can see almost immediately that you've got, you've got um, a sense of sort of adventure and wonder in you that I don't see really in anyone else. And that's kind of, it, it's, it's one of those things where like you, um, uh, you know, in order to sort of build up your, your main character, you have someone else come on, maybe it's a character from a different show or someone else who like, who really likes your main character. And so in doing, I'm trying to think of something offhand, but I can't think of it right now. But in, in doing that, in having another this particular character like your main character, you kind of like them a little bit more because you're right. like, yeah, you, you know, it's it's Ray Walston, it's Mr. Hand, it's Uncle Martin. You he's been there for a hundred years. He's done so much. He he he's given the gray haired kid some hope, and now he turns to our hero, as it were, and says this, and you're like, oh, okay, huh. There you go. And so, so it's it's a cool it's a cool moment, I think. Yeah. Um uh, what else do you have on this one? Let's see.
1: Um I was thinking that if uh, Ned, Ray Wellston has been there for over a century or a century at least. Um they're obviously they're they they age differently. Um, if that has anything to do with Dash X having grey hair Mm. Or if you know, going back to is he part of his alien race mm. or what? Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because no, so. maybe that race just has gray hair, or because mm. I'd always thought that it was just like a stress thing. <laughs> because yeah, Because he doesn't remember kind of who he was, too, yeah. he doesn't know his name. Yeah. you know, knows nothing about himself. That seems like it could be stressful, and that might turn your hair gray. Um, but this made me think maybe there he's not from here. And mm-hmm. there is a reason, or maybe they're all gray haired on that planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know, like just it. Something I was thinking about.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, I, I, I'm, I'm with it. We, I think the thing is we could come up now with a thousand theories. Yes. And, um, wonder, oh, wonder which is true. I mean, I, yeah, I guess, I guess at this, this moment, I don't really, I mean, I, I, part of me thinks maybe he is, and may, maybe, um, you know maybe again this is a this is a tv show that can do like mind swaps maybe he was a kid who who had the, an alien brain mind put in his or something and then the alien left and forgot to put a brain a mind back and just left him with the rudimentary um survival which right. gradually becomes goofy because he's an eerie i, I don't know <laughs> yeah this but but there is it's it's, it's an, he's an interesting character and he's definitely plus minus or minus plus or whatever it is. And, right. Um, <laughs> which, which is great. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm just – yeah, they do say – I do have a note here, the surface of Pluto. But surely that's – Simon isn't on the surface of Pluto. I, I, or is he?
1: I don't yeah, know. I had assumed assume that he was somewhere in space. But okay. if they mentioned Siberia, that would make more sense with the climate because obviously Pluto, yeah, doesn't have – you know the atmosphere <laughs> yeah, that, too, that too would snow. sustain Simon yeah. for however long, because they leave him on there long enough where I would think he would get a hypothermia or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I mean, they, yeah, they go back to the the Marshall's house and then they, yeah, yeah, because yeah. they do mention he's. Oh, I got it here. He says he and uh, Ned says that he shows up in Siberia in 1908. Okay. So, um, gosh, I hope he doesn't go in there and just end up back in Siberia or something, thinking <laughs> it's his home planet. Um, Let's see. Do you have anything else on this one? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a scan.
1: No, I think we covered it.
0: Is I think this is the one where uh, the gray-haired kid says something like, "What are we? The Hole in the Wall Gang?" Yes. <laughs> yes, which, which is a nice callback um, to their first yep. meeting. Yep. Um, let's see. And of course, the previous episode had the Hitchcock Mill in it again, so we're we're keeping everything pretty sort of in line. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think that's all I have for this one. It's it's a it's an episode I quite like. Yes, I think me I think too. it's a very good, and it seems like a very important episode
1: too. Yeah, it answers some questions, but also poses more. So yes, <laughs> which can be frustrating when you know that the show did not go on.
0: Yes, that you only have like three episodes on the left. Yeah, you're hoping they'll resolve something, but they probably won't. Look at look at how look at how long it took the X Files. To resolve things, oh, and some some yeah. would say they never did,
1: but I would. Uh, I one would... Those someone's.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, it, I, I think I think the thing with the X Files, and this is this isn't the X Files cast, but I think the thing with them is that I, I think it was like David Lynch with Laura Palmer, where he never meant to resolve mm-hmm. that, but he could. Whereas by time you get to the point where the network said to Chris Carter, you have to resolve this plot line after the first movie, it was too big yes. for him to resolve. I mean, if you watch that two, the full disclosure, yes. what is it, one father, two sons or whatever the heck it is from the yes. middle of season six, what you see, and I'll just stop here right after this, but what you see as you watch that two-parter... Is that as it gets closer to its ending, which we can argue for days about what what it, you know whether or not it's an actual ending, um, when as it gets closer and closer to that, Mulder and Scully have less and less to do, mm-hmm. and it's sort of one of those weird things where you made it so big that you can't even your 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 two main characters sort of aren't involved in it anymore
3: right. because
0: all the stuff that's happening is kind of like bigger than... The the picture is much bigger than they realized. So if you're going to resolve it, they can't really be there. So as you're running through... I remember sitting there watching it the first time on DVD and you get like... And the, and the second part starts, which I think is one father. I, for, I forget which one is which. But like I'm watching it. I'm going, where are Mulder and Scully? Things look like they're going to resolve in some fashion, but where'd they go? And they're kind of left out of it. Right. So I, I'd like to think that if Erie, indiana had something to resolve it would have marshall and simon there <laughs>
4: yeah
0: um and, and, let's hope yes and dash x and maybe the whole family maybe cindy will get something to do too uh, so that's royal order of corn uh, and um yeah dash x is here everybody we can stop calling him the gray-haired kid
1: yeah
0: amy um where can we find you online
1: you can find me on instagram at amy underscore the underscore conqueror
0: all right, Royal Hucksters, let's go to Pluto. I still don't think he's on Pluto. It doesn't matter. I don't know. <laughs> N- next next up, uh, next up, Zombies and PJs. Sounds like fun, huh? I'll talk to you guys soon. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan
4: this is the
0: With Arlene Howell and Van Williams Produced by Warner Brothers Swampfire Episode 27 April 11th 1960 Directed by Robert B Sinclair Teleplay by Dean Reasoner and Sig Herzig. Story by Edward Wellen. This is a Rex-heavy episode. In fact, at the beginning, uh, Melody's still in Europe, uh, um, and uh, Cal is in California, as Kenny is still looking for a replacement for Melody. In the swamp, somewhere nearby, the, an oil company is there trying to do whatever in the swamp, and they hire on Cajun crews who keep leaving because swamp fire appears. And there are legends of swamp fire. I guess it's sort of will-o'-the-wispy, luminescent kind of things. This looks like kind of a a distant, hunched shape of a woman glowing. At least that's what I saw it as. And um, it's a little creepy. And, and, and so the episode begins with uh, Cajun crews seeing that and leaving and abandoning the place. And the head of this uh, concern goes to Rex... Uh, Because Rex helped a friend of his out. Kind of a similar thing um, a little while ago. So Rex is called down there. He takes his gun along. uh, And he goes down there to the swamp to see if he can figure out what the swamp fire is. How to get the Cajuns to stay. Basically what's happening. Because they say every time we get a new crew, the swamp fire appears. Then it goes away. Then we get a new crew. And the swamp fire appears. So... Uh Rex stays at the Versailles Inn, where he meets a lovely Cajun Gal who does not like the oil people. And a lot it's applied to a lot of people in the area kind of don't like the oil people. We also meet this jackass who drives the swamp. I don't even know what the hell it is. Buggy monster thing. This it's basically it's it's um uh I forget the name of He Man's vehicle, the attack track or something like that. You know, it's kinda like that, but for a swamp. And he uh, he's the only one who owns one of these, so he brings everyone deep into the swamp and everyone out. Because he's the only one who has this thing, he's kind of a jackass and, and not a uh, very pleasant fellow. And uh, basically, Cal's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Rex's first thing is, I'm still getting that wrong. Rex's first thing is to bring in a conjure woman to cast a little spell on the place and give the guy some charms to hopefully make the swamp fire go away unfortunately it doesn't really work and a man is killed so the investigation is sort of ratcheted up as rex has to find out is it actual real swamp fire is it the people in the town is it the cajuns themselves is it someone related with the oil company or is it someone I'm gonna stop there. I was gonna. I was. I was almost gonna give something away there. Uh, but who? How is this happening? What's going on? Why is someone trying to stop the oil company from doing this?
2: Bourbon Street, Pink.
0: Swamp fire, swamp fire. Tail on his hat. No, that's Swamp Fox. I'm sorry, everyone. I goofed that up there. But you remember Swamp Fox? That was Leslie Nielsen, wasn't it? He would, he would, he would walk into. Yes, the, it was. Yeah. No, oh, I, I don't. I don't know who that was. Who said that? Mitchell, how are you?
2: I'm well, Dan. How about you?
0: I'm doing alright. I was. I remember when we first got the Disney Channel on cable, like in the mid-80s, the two things I was super excited to watch was Return to Treasure Island, which was a miniseries they did, and Swamp Fox, because it was Leslie Nielsen and because I knew I was going to laugh and laugh. That's a different Leslie Nielsen in Swamp Fox. But, um, you know, you you live and learn. That's the way pop culture works. Sometimes you're ahead of it. Sometimes you're behind it. Sometimes it hurts. It hurts so very deeply. So, um, uh, Mitchell. But it hurts so good, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, So we are talking (laughs) swamp fire in this episode. And um, before I tell you that this was a Rex-heavy uh, wait yeah, Rex Heavy episode. I'm going to still get that wrong after 27 episodes. There are two things to say. One, 27, episode 27, this is the furthest along we've got in a show. Green Hornet was 26. Now, it's the furthest along we got episode-wise, but not segment-wise, because Kristen and I did a segment on the Batman-Green Hornet crossover. So we are now tied for the most segments on a show. Um, and Next one,
2: will be going for the record.
0: Yes, we, we're going to shoot for that one, and um, who knows what's going to, who knows who's going to be in that? Maybe someone fun. Who knows? But um, that's one and two. Rex was not in the last episode. Um, uh, uh, twice, twice betrayed. Sorry, that was me turning a page of my notebook because he was in Mexico, and at the end of the episode, he shows up kind of dressed in a sombrero bandito style, and he's got two um, Mexican gals in his car. So I uh, so that's why he wasn't in the last episode. But so I'm linking that up to this one where he is in this one and this is him featured and a lot like um, Wall of Silence, this is him going this is him going direct to swamp country. And you know, you go to swamp country, I'm in there's no quicksand in this episode, but it's still swamp country. Mitchell, what did you think of swamp fire?
2: Well, <clears throat> I knew that you were in for this as soon as I saw the title, because, uh, you know, here's a man who knows his swamps. So I knew this was going to be a winner. Um, what We've got something interesting going here. We've got a mystery within a mystery. And the, uh, the mystery is what has happened to Melody, because she is um, not in this episode either. So this is... Consecutive episodes that she's not appearing in. And, um, yep, we know that she's in, uh, in Europe, apparently. So we would be, uh, probably complaining about things if she was back the next week. Oh, yeah, that was a short trip. But, um, it, it's worth mentioning nonetheless that we're continuing this, yes. what, what today we would call an, an arc, a story arc. And we're continuing this mini arc about, uh, about melody not in the episode, and Kenny is continuing to, it seems to me, draw extreme pleasure out of the process of hiring someone to replace her, even just on a temporary basis. And um, it it is ironic. We we talked in the last episode about about some of the criteria that kenny is evidently using to judge the applicants and it is um continuing in this episode and it 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 is becoming kind of i think almost a running joke and so for whatever reason that melody isn't in it they have chosen to actually play it up rather than to just uh ignore it and i kind of like that you know if you're going to hide something sometimes it's best to hide it in plain sight but kenny is um is is going along with all of this and um for a law student it strikes me that he really has a bad grasp of the idea of harassment but i suppose again that that wasn't such a big deal back in the day
0: Um, (laughs) yeah yeah Um, i i i guess that the book was much thinner Back then, I think he was—he yeah. look and looking. Okay, I—I I can, you know, I can, um, I can uh, get really close to her and look at her calves all day. That's all right. That's yeah. not in here. There's no precedent. There's no, you know, like um, you know, Smith versus the Supreme Court of Louisiana or something like that. Yeah.
2: Right, I I, I uh, don't know if there's going to be something. You know, I know that the famous Supreme Court decision, Marbury versus Madison, was completely different. But you would think that there we might be coming up for somebody versus Madison
0: in this yeah. anyway. Yeah. So that's
2: probably why he goes off to Surfside Six at the oh, end. He, yeah. Send him uh, to State Miami before they can yep. track him down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they were but probably they, trying um, to send him to Cuba or something. Seemed, yeah, and he didn't make it.
2: You 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 might be right there. It's the, the 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 possibilities, as they say, are endless. But um, it's it's interesting because I took a moment to actually look at Arlene Howell's bio. Uh, she's the actress who plays Melody, and um, quite interesting. It, uh, she doesn't have a long. Uh, pedigree in uh, working uh, in, in Hollywood and uh, what's interesting about it is that the constant references or reminders we get to Melody having been a beauty queen well in fact Arlene Howell actually was a beauty queen she was Miss USA and um, she competed in the Miss Universe pageant she did not win but she uh, she was uh, the third runner up and uh so she she did this when she was uh, still a teenager and supposedly did it uh to further her acting career so i i found that very a very interesting side note that uh we do get that she is actually um a beauty queen and so she's playing to type in that sense and uh we should not be surprised that uh she started this series uh she was cast while well, she was still 19 and she also appears in several episodes of uh, Maverick playing a uh, a character a continuing character in several episodes there and she was in a number of the other uh Warner's uh, shows, so she's part of the Warner stable. But I uh, I found that very interesting because uh, you know I did not know that, and uh, it does uh, since we don't have Melody to talk about, we can at least take a couple of minutes to talk about Arlene.
0: Yes, uh, yes, and thank thank you. Yeah, I I still I still wonder. I I, I I I try not to look ahead in the episodes any 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 farther than I have to. And so I don't know. I, I still stand by my thing from the last episode where I think she got mono or something, and they're just keeping her out of a few yeah. episodes. I'm, I'm hoping because she was...
2: That um, is starting to become more plausible.
0: Yeah, because she's still in the credits. They haven't taken her out of the yes. credits. Unless we're seeing credits that are adjusted for like syndication or something like happy days credits, having a happy days theme when yep. they should be rock, uh, when they should be, um, uh, rock around the clock, you know? Um, uh, I, I don't well,
2: know. The, and, and, uh, She's not in the closing credits, but that itself is totally insignificant because that's consistent with the other Warner shows, mm-hmm. that they only showed in the closing credits the character, the regulars who were actually in the episode. Okay. So if she doesn't appear in it, she's not in the closing oh. credits. That is meaningless.
0: Yeah, that's that's like that's like uh, Doctor Who in the 60s when um, uh, William Hartnell or Patrick Trout would take a week off. They were still in the credits, but if Barbara or Ian or Jamie or Susan or someone took a week off they weren't generally in the credits right so so that that was just that was um so you expect the doctor to be in the credits but if someone else isn't in it you don't expect them to be so because a time Lord's going to be in the credits that's that's the point I'm trying to make but what were we saying about exactly. uh, um, uh so I'm sorry <laughs> you, you you were given your opinion of the episode
2: yeah. Well, I'll I'll um uh, my my wife was uh looking at uh, when rex reason. We have two rexes in this episode. Yes. Rex reason who you would recognize um either as him or as his brother rhodes reason and it was kind of one of these okay now which reason is this <laughs> is it rex or is it rhodes and you kind of think to yourself well it wouldn't be rex they wouldn't actually have um an actor named rex and a character named rex would they but yes it is rex reason in this one and uh, who does a a a typical Rex Reason type of, uh, type of performance. Yes.
0: This hey, is hey, another Mitchell. one hey, of those. Mitchell. I can't, I can't <laughs> quite do his voice. <laughs> hey Mitchell. I don't, I just, I, I got him in this Island earth. Like, Hey, what's going <laughs> on? No, I can't Mitchell. quite do it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, uh, this is, um, another episode that indicates that, um, that these, these, uh, these bayou areas, these, uh, smaller enclaves of people. They're teeming with all kinds of secrets and all kinds of presumably uh, backstreet passions and everything. But I think we alluded to this a couple of episodes ago that this is similar in that respect to the last Rex episode in that he is – Taking on a case, he's in the the bayou. He's got they've they've got a situation where they have this uh, swamp creature that looks like it came out of uh, the Night Stalker, and uh, you expect to see uh, Darren McGavin somewhere in here, but he isn't. Yes, uh, and oh. uh, you have uh, superstitious at people,
0: at day, yeah. the
2: whole nine yards.
0: Yeah, I I I will say that this. the 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 thing that distinguishes this from wall of silence is that um there isn't really a wall of silence in there because this one because there is this ghostly as you said very Kolchak style spirit um floating in the woods and the opening scene when you see her is really like where are they going here and in the back of Mm -hmm. In the back of my mind, I was like, they're not really going to go supernatural.
1: But boy,
0: wouldn't it be fun if they did? You know, it's like one of those shows, like a show we haven't quite covered on here yet, Shadow Chasers from the mid-80s, where the first three or four episodes were like, is it supernatural? No, it's not. But what about this? And you're like, hmm, maybe it was. But then as the 13 episodes went along, they actually started to do supernatural stuff. And so, you know, it's like X-Files, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it, it, that one just said, yeah, we're doing supernatural stuff. And so there's, there's kind of a, um, uh, a thing in, um, American drama, detective shows, action shows, where it's like, are things actually ghostly or not? And generally, up to a point, they're not, is the answer. But... There are some. I mean, here, here's the thing is like this, this set they're on, this swamp set they're on throughout this episode is so good. There's a sequence when they're sitting in a, um, uh, th- so, so they've, they've hired this woman whose name I've forgotten, Mama J- J- Jadeek or something like that, to put her juju. Yes. On everything and kind of like give them all kind of
2: like, an exorcism type thing.
0: Yes, and something to wear around their necks, and they're all having a good time. And there's a sequence when they're sitting in like a tent, sort of a mash like tent with like the plastic. Um, I think they're like plasticky, sort of where you can see outside, but it's not like um It's it's a setup for the oil company, and they're all in there and they're drinking. And the thing about it is they're having a good time. They're singing gente, Alouette, which I guess if you're French of any extraction, you, you break out of that at a moment's notice. Um, but they're all singing and drinking. and But if you look at, to the background, they're, they're clearly the, this tent or whatever it is, is built on that set and they have the fog slash smoke machines going. And as they're singing and drinking, there's just this constant rise of smoke and fog right outside the windows, which is really good. I don't know, I mean I imagine mm-hmm. I imagine these are sets they had on the they I've probably been by one of these sets being I've been on the Warner Brothers lot and such several times, so I've probably been by some of these spots, but they're just so evocative I don't know if that's quite the right word but they're so um, they 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 I, I thought of there's a film from like 1946 called a Strangler of the Swamp which is I think it's Ooh. it's PRC I think it's not monogram it's one of the cheap like BZ movie companies but it's like it's like their finest hour and most of it is set on a set that looks a lot like this. It's a perfect swamp with the perfect atmosphere. And that's what I thought of when I was watching this. And I thought, for a show that's going to be being made like this. Sorry, I got Mm -hmm. a little groove there just for a second. But for a show that's being made so, so, (laughs) would be be made so quickly. um, The, the, the set and this, like, like when, when, when Rex rushes out into the swamp, it's like. I was always convinced that we... I knew we were on a set, but I was always convinced that we were... To to be honest, I've been in swamps, but I've been... In my mind, I've been as much on studio swamps as I have been in real swamps. And so, um, I love the swamp setting of this. I I love a good swamp. And I just enjoyed it. And um, I like... Um, I like that. Well, I don't like him, but the guy who drives the swamp buggy is such a jackass. And when Rex beats the crap out of him, <laughs> which is early on, and he's not really involved in the spoilery portion of it, so so it's okay to talk about him. But uh, uh yeah, he he's 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 something. And then there's the great coroner, who uh, uh the uh, shaky coroner who doesn't. Um, uh, um, a diagnosis, uh death in the swamp. Well, who, who? I, 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 don't know the actor's name. I meant to look him up, but if you, if you see him, he's been in. A, he was in a couple Green Acres episodes, and I, I know. I, am letting the side down by not remembering who he was, but you'll know him when you see him. And there's just a lot of great. Yes. There's a lot of great. Uh, it's, it's funny because I think um, Wall of Silence kind of had a better. Story behind it with the immigrants and them being blackmailed, and this one is just goofier, and is but has it's it's almost like they watch Wall of Silence was like okay we did one that was a bit more like people coming to America and being blackmailed for something, and we I'm still not going to spoil it, um, but this one it's just going to be goofy. It's an oil place, and there's a there's a, a spirit in the woods and. There's maybe like a a crazy guy out there, and there's other stuff going on, and there's uh, and it's just and and then they bring in Kenny in the end, and it's just it and and the ending is Mm -hmm. more exciting in this one than it is in Wall of Silence. Um, That was the one thing with Wall of Silence is the very end of Wall of Silence when you realize what's happened and who's doing it. The one disappointment I had is that. Oh, I don't want to say the person should have been killed, but it's like when you realize what the person has been doing to these people, um, a punch isn't quite enough. Yes, uh, but in this I one, several
2: punches is a good start.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, and um, but this one, um, this this one is almost like the um, if Wall of Silence was the. A mature version of this story. Swampfire is the version where we're all a little bit hopped up on caffeine, and we're all a little bit like, "Hey, now we'll go here. Now we'll do this. Oh yeah!" kind of thing. And it, it uh, moves a little quicker. It, it 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 it's a little crazier. It's a little nuttier. And um, and in that respect, I think it may it's enough of a variation from Wall of Silence to make it fun. Plus, there's all that swamp mm-hmm. stuff. And 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 I do love, I, I will say, this is the opening scene where the, the Cajun workers want to leave and the oil men don't want them to leave. And one of the Cajun workers puts a knife to the neck of the jerk who drives the swamp buggy because it's a specific kind of buggy that gets you through the swamp. Uh, and I know half of you are saying like, what? And the other half of you are saying, yeah, Dan, swamp buggy. I got it. Continue. Don't waste my time. Um, uh, but th- so this guy puts <laughs> a knife to the guy who drives a swamp buggy and the guy who drives a swamp buggy kind of pushes the hand away and says, like, OK, I'm going to go. And he starts with a swamp buggy and they begin to go. And then it cuts to like the people from the oil company going, no way. Come back. Come back. But then you realize the swamp buggy like goes like three miles an hour. So it's like a bunch of people standing there going, wait, come back, come back. Whereas they could be, (laughs) if they chose to, they could run alongside the swamp buggy and try to convince. There's a bit, there's an MST, um, there's an MST short from the I Accuse My Parents episode called The Truck Farmer, which is one of my wife and I, uh, it's one of our (laughs) favorite shorts. The Truck Farmer has so many funny uh, where the carrots are humiliated publicly. There are so many funny lines in the truck <laughs> farmer. But there's a moment where it's like, and they get the, the uh, crops to trucks, and then it's all a matter of time. we got to get them to the markets or something like that. And it's like they, they present it like, now that they're in the trucks, it's all going to happen. But the truck they show is like moving as fast as the swamp buggy. And Joel says something like, and, you know, we'll get there eventually. Or we haven't quite worked this out yet or something like that. But that's exactly what I thought of when the swamp buggy is pulling away. Because it's like I I get that it's going through the swamp. And it's going to have to go slow through certain points. But if you really want to keep those people – Excited, it and you know but, yes. but yes. yeah but yeah so um i i do quite like this episode um there uh, again i don't know i i feel like cal in the last episode got a more substantial episode i i feel like rex is getting the less substantial but possibly more entertaining mm-hmm. episodes um which doesn't bother me at all um that's that, that's the joy of a show having a good time, I think. Um, so um, so I, I will say Swamp Fire, I, I give it a thumbs up. Wall of Silence might be a... Uh, I don't know, better written is, is the right thing to say. But a, a more, not significant, I don't know. Swamp, uh, Wall of Silence is an episode as an adult i appreciate swamp fires an episode as a kid i would have sat there going
4: yeah.
0: so um so yeah so what else do you what else do you have mitchell
4: well
2: i think you're right in talking about the supernatural swamp cr- creature i thought there was even a moment where rex himself was starting to wonder if this yes. might be real and it it wasn't something he said so much as just the look mm-hmm. yes and definitely. um I think I think you're right about uh, about Cal's episodes having some substance to them. And again, this was an example where Cal, even though he's not the feature in this, he does have a role to play in it. And again, it's it's a substantial enough role that you, he he reminds me again that of the two of them, I think he is the one I don't want to mess with. Because he's um, he's kind of taking charge from the back room, warning warning Rex to watch out, sending Kenny into the fray. And it was, by the way, it was nice to see Kenny getting away from uh, the 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 grueling hiring process too, to actually see him do some detective <laughs> I know. work. Yeah, but, I've, never uh,
0: been in, I've never been in human resources, but I imagine it must be real rough.
2: He earned his pay in this episode, I thought, that he was – he was, Kenny, you know, it was – he was there's tough a, in this one. Um, there, there,
0: there's a moment I, – I, I, I don't know if it's a spoiler moment, but there is a moment I would like to discuss from the very end, when we get to the very end of this. Yes. I'm just bringing that up. Go on.
2: for
4: it.
0: Oh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't need to do – I was going to say, Um, I, I always think that I, I, I actually have – now – Granted, the stock footage shots of the alligators aren't very good in this episode. Because there are several moments mm-hmm. when folks are um, assailed by alligators. But I'd like to think that in 1960, the TV you were watching it on, there wouldn't have been much different uh, differentiation between the stock footage and what you were seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think I
2: think that probably is the case
0: yeah because um because like the, there's a scene where Rex is kind of thrown in the swamp and it's that scene where you just mentioned where he may encounter the supernatural or he may not um but there's a scene there like i, I that that swamp set is so good and I'm wondering if I'm wondering if um the reason why Cal is more featured in the Rex episodes this one and Wall of Silence than Rex is in um the last one might have something to do with just the sets where where like Kel was in a lot of rooms and hallways whereas mm-hmm. oh wait a minute yes, whereas Rex is on a lot of like big studio um swamps and things like that, so maybe. It was easier to bring Cal in to participate with Rex because he didn't have to fumble around in swamps and on. I mean, because obviously, like when they're like on water and stuff, like that's. I, I say it's a studio set. It's it's on the studio lot, but it, it's not like in a in a um. Like there's a sequence in this when they're on a on a little like lake going to a house and that's that would have been on the lot but not in a like a, a studio um, right. so, so, so I'm wondering if it's just one of those things where they chose uh, Cal, uh, Rex uh, to put him on the more sort of intensive sets that required um, atmospheric smoke and fog and water whereas Cal is just wandering through hallways so he so he's able to do his stuff quicker i don't know i don't know if that's true yeah, that might, that might,
2: that might be it's possible he he does make a good appearance in this one though yeah. i think that kind yeah. of take charge thing again so i i quite liked that and um uh, there's another scene there there was another throwaway and again this comes at the at, at the end when Something happens, and uh, they, in response to a the request, they get they get a, a letter back from the governor that supposedly clears everything up. And um, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is Louisiana. I. Can't help but think that that the letter, the request they sent to the governor had to have some green paper in along with the letterhead in there. Yes. Because if I'm not yes. mistaken, that's how business gets done in Louisiana.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so anyone listening in Louisiana, if we're wrong, email Mitchell at Mitchell MitchellHadley yeah. <laughs> uh, at Yahoo.com. I won't spell that, for you know how that's spelled. <laughs> um, so, uh, w- what else do you have on this one? Because I'm, I'm looking at it, and I, I think, um, I
2: think I've hit my limit. Up. I think it's a I fun episode. You're absolutely yeah.
0: right. Yeah, it's a fun episode, and that swamp buggy is awesome. And the, the I think I think the, it, it's sort of like I said. They they seem to take to heart that the ending of Wall of Silence. Well, uh, like the bad guys in Swampfire are jerks. The bad guy in Wall of Silence is like seventh level, not to go Dungeons and Dragons, but like seventh level jerk, and he doesn't yeah. get the comeuppance quite that you think he should get. So they really give it out in Swampfire, and I will just say, I, I would just, I will end this saying, and and you got to watch the episode to see this, but one of the thugs complains about. I won't say what I mean by that. Um, Rex steering a canoe. Steering a canoe, I one of the only merit badges I got from my years in, in Boy Scouts was canoeing. And that was so I could canoe to a small island to get away from everyone to summer camp for a day. And steering a canoe is kind of easy-ish. But it gets tougher as you go along because you can lose your focus on the water and everything so so there's a there's a whenever anyone's in a canoe I've I've done three hundred four hundred miles in a canoe in my life and so I uh, I love a canoe and I love what what Rex does in a canoe in this and I will. I'm not gonna say you gotta watch the episode to find out what he does. It's not like he, you know, he doesn't like throw it up into the sun or something like that, and it causes a supernova. But it's it he it's cool. So uh, I, I'm gonna stop here, Mitchell. Where where are you? Are you okay? Have you fallen? Can you not get up? I'm kidding. Is where it- are <laughs> right. Is
2: this an existential question here or a... <laughs> <laughs> It
0: could be I don't know we're at the end of the episode it's been a long evening of recording. Um where where can we find you online?
2: Um you can existentially I don't know where you can find me, but online you can find me at it'sabouttv.com.
0: And he is the author of the electronic mirror, everyone, if you wanted to, to know that, which I have I'm looking to my right. I have it on a shelf Next to um, my Calvin and Hobbes complete collection and a collection of some Peanuts, um, as in Charlie Brown ah. uh, books. So that's a fun, that's a fun shelf. Well,
2: honored company, I feel. Yeah. I feel honored to be part of that.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah, the book is the book is great. Um. Uh. And so, what was Swamp? Fo- I I I wanted to sing Swamp Fox again, but um, I think that's a little trite. So I'm just gonna. Stop talking. The United States of America would like to invite you to come spy with me.
4: Tonight, adventures looking in your window, something out of the ordinary. I can see your are someone special.
0: episode nine winnings directed by Sidney Hayers written by William Reed Woodfield the 6th of April 1984 and I am here with my podcast pal and good friend Amanda Reyes to talk this episode Amanda how you doing?
3: I'm good how are you?
0: I'm doing okay i have got to tell everyone that I had a, a bit of an allergy attack this week so I'm going to try to stave off sniffles and things but it's going to happen I'm gonna to try to mute myself as much as I can and you see what I did there? I had to sniffle, so I muted myself. So I'll be doing that randomly. That's going to freak me out. It's going to freak a man out, so I'm not going to do that. Ah, sniffles. Yeah, I don't know. It's The weather's been, it's it's fall, and we've been getting co- cool nights here in L.A., and whenever that happens, I always get a week of bad allergies. So so feel free, and my voice is going to get deeper, possibly, as the recording goes along. Just But having said that, I want to... Barry, sort of, yeah. Actually, someone uh, at, at my at my uh, job yesterday, someone said you sound a bit like Barry White, and I started to sing some Barry White, and then I was asked to speak to human resources. So that's why you don't do that in an office environment. Uh, so let let me give a little plot breakdown, and Amanda, feel free to dive in. Um, if I forget something, or um, I thought this episode was relatively straightforward because most of the people are just gambling. They aren't like spread out all over Monte Carlo, but it's actually what I was going over in my head this morning. It took a little more time than I thought it would to, to cover everything. So I'm going to try to do this relatively quickly. So what we have is we have something called Smart Eyes. and Smart Eyes is some sort of camera. It was a little vague on exactly what it was because you see just like a, um, like a camera, like a security camera circa 1984, looking at some machinery. And we're told that um, they discovered that it could do something really cool when it looked at machinery. The, the long and the short of it is the government, the American government, realized that it could be attached to a jet and it could be used to guide uh, missiles into moving objects. And so they took all these smart eyes and either probably put them in that, that um place where they keep the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Uh, All but one place they shut down. And this was a factory owned by a gentleman named Morell. He has one left that he's going to sell to the highest bidder. He has been working with a crooked casino owner in Monte Carlo named Beaumark, who wants to sell it for $2 million, who is going to give Morell $2 million and then give it to I believe a guy named Volner from the KGB. So obviously it's our gang's uh, uh, our gang's deal here is to... Uh, basically, they're going to... Well, they have to make sure the smart eyes doesn't fall into KGB f- hands. And they're going to do that by um, basically kind of wrecking Beaumark's casino, which is already a crooked casino, like I mentioned. And they hire on four people. Now, do you want to trade off on these, Amanda? Do you want to pick your favorite? And then I'll and then I'll go after that.
3: Sure. Uh, I really like Charlie Miller, played by Martin Milner. So, I guess his superpower is that he's really good at like counting cards and doing things to beat the table at uh, poker games and at different like uh, roulette and probably Baccarat and stuff like that. And he dresses like a used car salesman. <laughs> he does. And he's played by, doesn't he? Yeah. Played by Martin Milner with like an air of leathery sort of old spice. Yes. <laughs> that I found really appealing because i'm not used to seeing martin milner that way i'm used to him being like the super clean cut guy from adam 12 yes. and here he's like a little older and a little wiser and he looks like he's having a great time but um i think they recruited him just because he's super good at like beating the gods that's yes. what he does
0: yeah, and we can talk about the cool stuff he has a little later to, to help. Oh, you so know. cool! Yeah, and it, it's great. And he, yeah, he published a book on how to beat casinos, and when they showed the cover of it, this is 1984, but it looks like a real cheap paperback from like 1972, and I loved it. I, it's fantastic. I'd love to read that book.
3: Well, he he <laughs> looks like a cheap paperback from he 1972. Does. I mean, that's the best way to describe him. He does. You know, he looks like he like some pulp thing that walked off the pages of like some weird Elmore Leonard novel yeah 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 Yeah.
0: I I, when when I first saw him I missed his name in the credits and I sat there the whole time going is that Marty Milner because it looks exactly like him but for some reason I'm not getting the full-on I'm not getting the full-on Milner but no by the end I was like
3: that's is that like is that like when you meet Martin Scorsese and you're like oh it's a Marty
0: yes exactly I think that happens with everyone, okay. Marty's and Melvin's. Um, uh, I'm gonna, you know what? You know what's yes. funny is, I really loved all four of the people they recruit, so I don't have yeah. a favorite. I, I am going to go. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go kind of historically. One of my favorite TV shows is BJ and the Bear, and this is an episode that reunites Greg Evigan's and the great Claude Akins. And Claude Akins plays Mr. Kelly, a guy who puts in elevator systems in buildings and he, his, he used to gamble and he has actually been at this casino that Bonark owns and lost a lot of money and now is part of Suckers Anonymous which is, I guess, Gamblers Anonymous and,
4: <laughs> That's right and,
0: and Mr. Ke- Mr. Kelly actually brings his wife who is very wary of why they're going to a casino because I guess he lost he, 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 he put the elevators in Bonarch's casino and then he lost all the money he made from that job to Bonark in the Crooked Casino but they're not calling him there to gamble. They're calling him there to diddle around with the elevators. And um, so that's, that's Mr. Kelly. Would you like to pick the next one?
3: Well, just a piece of trivia. I, when I was looking at the credits as you started to talk about his wife, Mavis, I thought, you know, she looked so familiar. When I was looking at the credits on IMDb, I saw that her name was Ann Prentice. And I thought, you know what, she actually oh. looks like Paula Prentice, Is yes. that what I'm thinking of? And it turned out it was her younger sister.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah she looked familiar.
3: So I, I thought, yeah, she did look familiar. Anyway, that was Anne Prentice. But um, I think I think it's no guess who I'm going to go with. I'm choosing Alamo Dolly. Yeah. Because uh, Randy Oaks played her. I think Randy Oaks is married to Gregory Harrison in real life, right? Well, was she on Chips for a she, while? She
0: was on Chips, and that was, um they, they met on the Battle of the Network Stars when they did the um baseball throw thing yes. where you dunk. And I think she dunked him. And you could see him run up to her and talk to her, and they're they're instantly like flirty, and then like a year later they got married or something like that. It's real real sweet. I forget which episode. And it then is.
3: she, and then she never acted again. She never acted again. <laughs> Apart and from then, her. So anyway, she's so, like, I can't remember what her two talents are. She can drive real fast, and what was this other thing? They a, recruited her for two reasons. The one was,
0: she's just a good gambler, isn't she? She's a very good gambler.
3: Oh, that's right, that's right. You know what? I'm starting to mix the episodes up. I'm thinking <laughs> of no, going
0: a- that- yes, to Yes,
3: yes. Yeah. So, yes, she's a really good gambler. In matter of fact, she tricked, um, or she's not tricked, but she won a lot of money from the person you're going to talk about next, but um, she, also her name is Alamo, and I kind of feel like we're getting a lot of, like, women who can drive fast characters now. Yes. I think... For some reason, I mean, we have the lady who created the car crashes in the famous Steve Garvey episode. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like either we're going to head into more women who drive fast, mm-hmm. or there was another woman who also drove fast. So we've got this really interesting theme that's happening now on the show where we have women doing things that you don't normally see women do, like race car driving and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Uh, and gambling. Yes. You know. Randy Oaks, she's... Um... She, I know her, yeah, from some chips, Battle of the Network Star. She was on like f- four or five of them. That might not be right. But she was one of those... Um uh, act, actresses Actors Who would get on Battle of the Network Stars And be real like Come on Let's do this Let's do it. You know some of them Like like when David Letterman Was on Battle of the Network Stars He didn't break a sweat <laughs> But when Randy Oaks he Was didn't on care. Yeah when Randy Oaks Was on Every time She's like Yeah come on Let's do this Like like Robert Conrad But a lot cuter Unless, unless you You know uh, Unless Robert You know I don't know uh, But uh, And she was also in The first regular episode Of BJ and the Bear odyssey of the shady truth uh which also has claude akins and greg evigan in it and so i will go to the fourth person they recruit and his name is nick and nick is sort of a suave professional gambler type guy who has um i believe he has been at that casino he's been at that casino mr kelly has been at beaumark's casino the other two have not and um nick is played by oh yes Art Matrano. What? No way! No way! And um, he's way. Great. Well, yeah, he's great as always. He is. He is fantastic, and we we know him from so many wonderful things. Not the least of those being Johnny Loves Chachi. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's great in this, and he looks he looks. I like him in this. He's very suave, you know. He because he can do the suave. He can do like he was in uh, Moving On the uh, Frank Converse uh, Claude Aikens truckin' show and he play he and Rosie Greer play their nemesis in that show who would pop up every few episodes and cause them sure. trouble and, uh, but Art yeah. Matrano in that was always kind of like sloppy and like in a t-shirt and just a bit of a mess you know then of course he's he's Uncle Rico and then he's this guy he's Nick and then of course he's Mauser oh Art Metrano he's a who? I think he was in an Andy Sedaris film although I could be wrong on that oh he's in the first one isn't he I think he's in he's, Malibu Express he's
3: He's such a he's such a chameleon. That one.
0: Yeah, yes, yes.
3: It's like it's like watching it's like watching you know De Niro.
0: Or or Lon Chaney Sr. Yes, exactly.
3: Or like I can't think of it. I was like, oh my gosh, who does different characters? And I can't I can't <laughs> think of anyone. Robert De Niro is always a good uh, fallback.
0: Yeah. Um. So so yeah, those are the four main characters, and and the the premise is that three of them uh Dolly and uh charlie and nick are going to be gambling in bono bomark's uh casino uh mr kelly is sort of there for a bit but he's got other stuff to do and what uh happens is um uh uh danny and oh my gosh don't tell me i know her name i know her name it's danny and casey yes i got it was that right Yes. Uh, um. Danny and yep. Casey. Danny and Casey go to Beaumark and say, "Hey, we brought on a bunch of these rubes who are willing to spend a lot of money here. Um, um, we we brought them specifically here because we know how you work. Give us 20 percent of the takings, and they they whittle it down to fifteen percent. And so uh, Bo and his uh number uh his number one guy, I believe his name is Frank. Uh, Frank is pretty ineffectual throughout this episode, if that is his name." Uh, they're sort of keep an eye on these new gamblers, and Beaumark is like, uh, "We can do this if I get to go out with you, young lady." And Casey's like, "Ooh, I thought you'd never ask." And so she's going to have dinner with him.
3: <laughs> and they... Well, well, let's wait. Let's be clear about something first. Yes, L- Lasic or everything's named Bonar. He is played by Lloyd Bachner, yes. who is the father of Hard Bachner. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's older. He's older, but. He's Lloyd Bachner, and I'm pretty sure if I was in Casey's situation, I would be wanting to mix a little business with pleasure myself. And I want to talk about their date when we get to it because he does something really unexpected that kind of charmed me immensely.
0: Oh, okay. So, um, what happens next is so so some of the gang are gambling, and uh, they uh, Alamo Dolly and Lavender get in a car and, and they basically chase down Morel. Was already a little sort of shaky he, he's going to uh, meet up with Beaumark and trade the two million uh, for the uh, smart eyes camera and they somehow near a very familiar looking tunnel which may not be in Monte Carlo they get into a shootout and uh, Dolly and lavender's car flips over and it looks like they're in trouble uh, but they trick him and lavender ends up shooting and killing one of Morell's men morell takes off.
4: Oh my god!
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lavender—he's hardcore when he gets down to it. He, and I—I th- I think part of what that was is Wait. he's, yeah.
3: Go ahead, no, go keep going.
0: Oh, oh, uh, uh, we 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 could talk about that that scene also. Uh, so what happens is, um, Charlie is kind of wandering around the casino, kind of looking at stuff, taking mental notes, and uh, uh Casey has put a, a bug in Beaumarch's office. And so lavender is able to hear
4: what's going on. Now, how
3: obvious, how obvious was that bug? Because, (laughs) like, I, she, she had to put her hand under the table Mm. and stick it. And it's like, how could nobody not notice her hand doing that? And, and it, 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 she does it again, right? Doesn't she do like another sneaky thing? Oh, with the phone line on their date, and it's so obvious. That that's what she's doing, <laughs> but I don't understand how nobody sees it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I guess that's the power of case. Maybe they're not they're not looking at her hands. I don't know. That's a, uh, all I can think.
3: Um, possibly.
0: Possibly. Possibly. Uh, um, so, uh, what 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 does happen then? Okay, so so lavender and and uh, Dolly have that happen, and basically Morell arrives at the office, and uh, Volmer, the KGB guys there, and Beaumont's like, here's the money. And he opens up this this uh, uh, briefcase filled with money. And my first thought was, we're paying you in $200 million worth of... Uh, $2 million worth of Beaumark Fun Bucks. Because that's kind of what it looked like for a minute. Kind of very fake, and it probably was, obviously. Uh, and so uh, Morel checks it out, and he flips through it. And he says, uh, after the little stunt you pulled... And they're like, what are you talking about? Uh, this was Lavender's plan all along uh, to make him think the KGB was getting a little cagey and going after Morel and not wanting to pay. Morel says, I didn't bring smart eyes here. You meet me at like a golf course or something like that tomorrow morning. So Lavender's like, yes, we have we have like 16 hours or something like that to break the casino. And so uh, Charlie shows them all sorts of different tricks uh, involving the roulette wheel and some fun cards. And he's got like a huge setup. Like it's more involved than in the setup they have on the plane that flies everyone out to the various locations. It's really he's on he's on it, and what happens is that evening, the gang begins to play uh, roulette. Uh, Casey goes in for her date with Beaumark, unhooks uh, unplugs the phone because Beaumark says, "Hey, if anything goes wrong with those rubes out there, call me. Don't don't, don't interrupt me. I'm I'm on a date with Casey," and. Uh, and, but Frank, every time he calls, the phone's been disconnected, and, and the gang are winning all this money, all this money, all this money, and finally Bomark finds out about it and says, this table's closed. Meet me tonight at midnight for a poker tournament. Lavender shows up with $2 million, and, or, or does he show up with more than that? I forget. Um, uh, I think it was $2 million. Well, it doesn't matter. And he shows up with a bunch of money and says to Bomark, hey, I want smart eyes. And he says, sorry, it's already going to the KGB. Um... You know, I'm already dealing with Morel, and then Beaumarch invites Lavender, since Lavender has all this cash, to play poker with them that night. And of course, Beaumarch is thinking, I'm going to win all. He basically says, if um, if I win, then I get Uncle Sam's money that you've got in that briefcase. But if you win, then I don't have the money to pay Morel. And so they all sit down for a midnight poker game. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? And who is crawling around? The elevator shafts of this casino is that Sheriff Lobo and B J McKay. It could be, and that's. I'll leave it right there. That's pretty much. That's most of the episode, actually. So that's winnings. Amanda, what did yeah. you think of it?
3: I thought it was winning. Yeah, <laughs> I winning. I thought it was a really. I thought it was a really fun episode. Um, it's not quite as good as the ninja episode because nothing will ever come close to that in my heart. But True. this was a really fun episode. I think. I think it helps when um well, you're right, the story's actually not that convoluted, which is nice. They they kind of didn't get lost in like all the espionage and all and there wasn't too many faces. It was pretty easy to they only had four people and including and then they have Mavis, right? Who has this really great sort of side storyline where she falls in love with gambling, which is hilarious after she's told her husband not to gamble. <laughs> but um I think it helps when you have um, what do you want to call this? We could call this the Santos effect. So when we talked about that one episode that I can't even tell you what the episode was about, but Joe Santos was the, one of the main character actors that they brought yes. on. And the whole point of the episode was to discredit him for, cause he was doing some dealings or whatever. And they went through all this stuff and, and Joe Santos, it felt like he was like just so hundred percent there, you know, like he was really having a really good time with the part he's a great example of like when an actor gets dropped into a show that's probably not doing that well in the ratings still a little convoluted they're still working through things but he just wants to do a really good job and have fun and I think the Santos effect which is one of my trademark for this is uh, Hart, um, I almost said Lloyd Bachner and Martin Milner are having a blast and I think when the actors are having fun, it makes it more fun to watch. I'm not saying the other actors aren't having fun, but there's something about those performances Mm -hmm. that feel really, really alive to me. Martin Milner in particular has got a lot of energy. And so that scene that you were talking about where he was showing them how to snake the tables he's got like this whole setup so he watches what's hilarious is this episode is all about why can't anybody else see this so yes. why can't everybody yeah. see Casey putting that bug that I can clearly see her putting under the yeah. table but yes. when he goes when Mark Milner's character goes to the gambling room you know the women who are just very provocatively the dealers mm-hmm. they do this thing where they tap their foot and it actually stops the ball rolling on the roulette wheel after so many revolutions and it's like how does nobody else see that yeah it's obvious that she's doing this thing with her foot at the exact, like, every 10 seconds after she spins the <laughs> wheel. So, like, how is he the only person who sees it? And and then he's doing things like looking at his watch. So he has this setup, right? So he shows oh, everybody how to see how the cards are marked, right? And, he, and they wear contact lenses to read the marks on the cards, which I've never heard of before. I don't know if that's true, if you can do that. But, but he has this thing where what he does is he counts the revolution of the ball. Like there's this whole mathematical process, which is true. There is math to gambling. And, um, I grew up in Vegas, so I know this. Um, so you spin the wheel and then there's so many seconds between her spinning the wheel and her tapping her foot on what is like some device that stops the wheel rolling after so many seconds. And he somehow gets this equation of where the, where, what number it's going to land on. And it's going to be like off by certain, like he has a spread. Like there are these six numbers that it's probably going to land on. And the ball is only meant to land on black or red. They don't have any idea what number it's going to end up on when they when they created this device to snake the gamblers, but he has figured it out with this math system. So he would put the first bet down and then the other gamblers would pick numbers around him. Therefore, mathematically speaking, it's bound to land on one of those numbers he's picked, right? He started them on and they just count so many out. And so so that's how they're going to, like, win all this money. And the first, I think, payout is, like, $70,000. Yeah, ridiculous. It like, it's, like, wow. a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's not going to take them long to get $2 million out of – And that's not even a lot of money, not even by 1984 standards for, like, espionage. Yeah. That seems like a really small amount of money. It kind of reminds me of that scene in Austin Powers. Oh, yeah. Which one of the Austin Powers movies where you ask for $100,000 and you're like, really?
0: Yeah, I think that's the because first one. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> And he's like, well, how about a million? And they're like, really? And so, like, the inflation, guys. So, um, so anyway, and so then Mavis comes in, and she's really upset because she can't find her husband, and she sure is gambling. And then she accidentally places a bet because once you put, because she's been given these chips to play with as like a courtesy. And once you put the chip on the table, your bet has been landed, and you have to stick with it. And she ends up winning like thirty thousand dollars, and the adrenaline just hits, and she's like. Screw sucker's Anonymous, you know? This is the life. And so, like, it's kind of a funny subplot. And it actually made me laugh out loud when she, like, got really into the gambling, which is nice because I don't think I've watched this show and really laughed out loud at some of the comedy. And so um, it was really well done. But I think it's the fact that it had such energetic performances Mm -hmm. from a majority of the cast that made it a real treat to watch. And yes, Lavender's really cold blooded. And like when he kills that guy, Alamo's with him and then he just makes a joke. And I'm like, that's a dead body. I mean I'm almost positive Alamo Dolly has never seen a dead body in front of her, especially not one that the guy sitting in the car with her shot in cold blood. Yes. I'm guessing.
0: I'm guessing. I I, So yeah, so
3: it was it's Good
0: episode. Yeah, I I, I think I think my, my thought with that the the um uh that that moment with Dolly is that he he always makes a point of saying you're going to be in, in as little danger as possible, and they come out of that very familiar looking tunnel, and uh, Morell's goon is standing there with like a semi-automatic something or other and just starts shooting right at them, and and you could see him like he 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 has a moment of, of sort of like panic and instead of like allowing her to take a second to steer he actually grabs her head and like shoves it you know down in front of the steering wheel so she doesn't get shot which means they run into the only other car on the road and they flip 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 and flip around and stuff like that which almost looks like it was planned because that car is like there's no other car there but that car and um, uh, Lavender lands in the perfect spot to shoot the guy who comes at them but I can't think they planned that because he, he is really honestly, um, he's like, he, he he just like grabs Dolly and like, are you okay? I told you you wouldn't be in danger and look what the heck just happened. So it's, it's like a, I, I think at that moment, uh, Lavender, yeah, the, the cold blooded really kind of uh, uh, slips in and there is the, the, the moment where he shows uh, Bullmark the $2 million he has in a briefcase and he's accidentally left his gun on top of the money. And so when he lifts it off, bullmark and Frank are like, <gasps> and he's oh sorry about that and he moves his gun uh but i yeah i I, yeah i i I quite like the episode um uh i think i think it moves moves pretty quickly uh uh i i'm not a huge fan of uh sort of climactic scenes being card games because i'm not a big card player but uh but this one was okay because it has those weird cards with the uh where they put the context on, and it, it like you can see through the cards or something like that. It's really, um, yeah, yeah if, yeah. if that exists, that's awesome. Uh, I love the guest cast. In yeah.
3: this. <laughs> I think it's made up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'm
0: love the guest.
3: <laughs>
0: I love the guest cast in this. I wish there had been a little more Aikens. I say that about a lot of things, yeah. though. I mean, he's he's in the first episode of the Master, I believe, Master Ninja. And um, there isn't enough of him in that. Mm. Or that could be the second one. I think it's the one with Demi Moore. It's either the first or second one. Um, okay. But uh, I want, they do something that I love, which is um, as Casey's at her date and everyone else is gambling and having fun, it keeps cutting to um, Claude and, and Greg uh, creeping around these dirty elevator shafts and things. So I sort of love that the juxtaposition between people in this casino with these scantily-dressed gals winning thousands and thousands of dollars while these two guys are climbing up and down these dirty elevator shafts. I like the the, um, going back and forth between that. Uh, I also like that the majority of the episode takes place in Beaumark's office or, like, more or less, like, one casino room, which is probably the same room repurposed for different games. So there's there's almost... And the casino is not the... um, most lavish, this ain't Casino Royale, no. but it's, it's 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 like your grandma's wallpaper and some nice flowers, and so it's almost like, I wonder yes. if this was the chintzy episode of the season.
3: Well, there's this episode of Romance Theater, I think it's called Gamble on Love, and it's got the one kind of good-looking older guy from um, Hard Bodies, you know how there's those guys that show up and
4: yeah. Uh, yeah. Grant
3: Kramer tries to hook them up? women do the kind of cowboy one with the curly dark curly hair yes yes. he is he is the love interest i wish i could remember the actor's name he's great he was in the last episode of charlie's angels as well um and he is the love interest and he i think is running a casino that this woman inherits Hmm. from her grandmother so it was her grandmother's casino i think they're in las vegas (laughs) and you know that show was like a play so they only had like the lobby and they had like if memory serves they have like a door that opens that's supposed to go into the casino but it's just like a regular door it's not even like a grand door or anything and then you can hear like like the the crowd
4: mm-hmm.
3: and like spinning wheels or something you know what i mean like they can't show an actual casino because they don't have the money to build the set yeah. so they everything just takes place in the lobby where there's like nobody and it and it's just like this kind of no, I've never seen a casino in Vegas that looks quite like this. It kind of looks like a gothic mansion, and <laughs> I would go there if it existed. Uh-huh. But um, it's really strange. And, and when so, when you said that, because it didn't occur to me, that it made me think of like um, how they kind of used to do TV when they had less money.
0: Yes, yeah. There's there's um, uh, when when Casey and Danny walk in, they kind of uh, mention. I forget if they mentioned the decor or they mentioned something about it, and and but and when they say it. It, you, I couldn't quite tell whether they're saying like, "Wow, this is flashy," or "Are you kidding me?" Um, it's it's a little tough to tell. It's almost it's almost, but not quite. Sort of like uh, like if you watch like an HG Lewis film, or I don't quite want to say Ed Wood, but if they did a casino, Ted V. Michaels, if they did a casino, well, maybe not Ted V. Michaels, but um, if they did a casino, it would be like what you described. You know, it would be one room and an entrance yeah. and noise and stock footage
3: well, do you remember is it is it mardi gras massacre where like yes. there's a, a a restaurant that they keep going to and th- you can tell that like one side is the italian restaurant and the other side has been dressed to be something else like you can tell it's like the same space yes but they've changed it yeah but like that's what it makes me think of like let's just make the most of this this one little piece of space i mean it's not bad no, but it's no. like it's like yeah now that you bring it up, you're right. I was just like, okay, but it's Monte Carlo. I'm from Vegas. I'm used to, like, because if you go to Atlantic City and then you go to Vegas, they're so different from each other. So God knows what okay. Monte Carlo looks like. But, like, do you know what I mean? So I kind of could yeah. buy it. And then they were talking about underground casinos, and I was kept thinking maybe it's an underground casino, but it's obviously not. Yeah. Uh, they a tour group would not be taking people to an underground yes, casino. Because yes, yes. an underground casino usually is just in one room. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah. And that I- would make more sense. That would make sense.
0: I, and there, there, there is a moment, too, where, where Beaumark uh, – oh, do you, do you want to talk about the date the between – or the summer? I
3: do because – yeah, so so Casey is like, okay, let me go on this date with you. She shows up in this amazing dress with this, like uh, – I don't know what it is, like a fur thing around her neck. And there's this really funny moment where, you know, his right-hand man is taking the stole from her, and she basically just throws it over his head. And do you yes. remember that? And it kind of lands yes. over his head. And oh, kind of for a yep. second. And she just doesn't even care. And it's <laughs> such a funny moment. And I think this is where you can see where Christy Alley is starting to really hone her comedic skills. Because it turned out she was this fantastic comedic comedic actress. I don't think anybody realized that at the beginning of her career, how funny she was. And here you can kind of see glimmers of it. But there's this... So they're on their date, and she, she unhooks the phone and everything. But there's this scene where he's sitting, well, he's standing, and she's sitting, and he puts his hand on her chin, and he lifts her head up, and you're positive that they're going to kiss.
0: Uh-huh.
3: And then he kisses kisses her forehead. Yes. And I was just forever charmed by that, because I don't know if Lloyd Bachner was like, oh, my God, she's 25, and I'm 62 or whatever, (laughs) because he is in The Lonely Lady, and God knows what they did in that movie. Oh, yeah. But there's such a gentleman thing that he's doing there that's so sweet to me. And for me, Lloyd Bachner is kind of everything. And, and I like to think of him as a sweet guy. I have no idea what he was like in person. I know nothing about him. I only know about his acting career. But there was something so gentlemanly and sweet about that moment that it just charmed me to no end. And I just totally fell in love with the character. And I thought, what a neat little gesture. And I wonder if that's how it was written or if he just decided that's what he was going to do.
0: Yeah yeah it's 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 a lovely it's 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 a lovely scene and there's there's a moment where um he he shows her the view and it's he says it's like the best view in Monte Carlo
4: okay.
0: and it is nice although whenever they show that building and i believe it's a real building but whenever they show it the angles they kind of show it at i keep expecting like godzilla to suddenly storm through it or something
3: like that <laughs> Oh, Godzilla and Monte Carlo is something we haven't seen yet.
0: Oh my gosh, there's the movie, folks. Someone take that down. Um, let's see what what else about this one. Uh, let's see, Sucker's Anonymous. You want to talk about Mavis, or have we have we covered Mavis?
3: We kind of talked about Mavis. I mean, she's really oh. funny, and um, I liked that little character arc of Sucker's Anonymous or whatever, which is hilarious. And 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 oh, this is another thing we're starting to run into, and that is the nosy wife that has yes. to be kept out of the secret. And we've seen that in a number of different ways. Ruben Clanahan did it. I don't know that she ever got clued in. We know that um Elaine Joyce's character got clued in in the one that we saw where she was married to John Saxon, which yes. is by the way the best couple matchup I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> They're like the Georges to me. It's like it's like they created the, the Georges right in front of us. You know what I mean? It's like yes. it's that hot. <laughs> but um, and I feel like there might have been another wife that shows. Oh, there's the wife. Is it in the pilot? Richard Roundtree's wife. Oh
4: yes, yes. Doesn't know. Mm-hmm. That,
3: yeah. He's so the like, a, we're uh, yeah, not seeing yeah. necessarily husbands. We're mm-hmm. not necessarily seeing husbands being drug on these trips, but we are seeing wives who are being kept in the dark. I'm not really sure what that's saying because it's got these women that do all kinds of crazy stuff like stunt drive. And uh, we had a sharpshooter in an episode, right? With um, oh, what's her name? Alana Hunter was that her name? Oh yes. Um, yeah. Rod Stewart's ex-wife was in. Mm-hmm. The yeah, and she was a sharpshooter, and could speak French, and um, and so we're starting to see these like really interesting independent strong women. Oh, we had a female uh, bouncer bodyguard,
0: right? Oh sure. Which yeah.
3: was um, oh my God, what's that actress's name? She was married to Simon McCorkindale in real yes, life.
0: yes. Uh, anyway, isn't she a George? She's, uh,
3: she's a George too her first name? No, she's not a George Su- like the Susan? George is. She's Was just it? got a no. Susan George. Okay, yeah. So, yes. so we yes, have this yeah. dichotomy. We have this dichotomy of really, and also Casey, of course, as an agent, right, mm-hmm. of, of predating Scully. We've got like um, really independent women mixed in with kind of nagging housewives. And it's sort of, I'm not really sure what the message is there, <laughs> but. Um, the Housewives are basically there for comedic effect, and that could be seen as something negative, I think. Um, it's funny, but it's something I'm starting to notice that shows up more and more uh, as the series goes along. The my,
0: my favorite moment with Mavis, I think, is when they're all in the elevator going down to the casino, and uh, her and Claude Akins are in the foreground, and the rest of the, the gang is uh, right uh, kind of situated right behind them so you can see their faces and she's just whispering like look at all these degenerate gamblers I can't believe we're here why did you bring us here and you can see a lot of eye rolling and smiling and looking back and forth at one another it's a, it's a very nice uh, it's a very nice moment considering how, how nutsy she goes the moment she wins uh, let's
3: see she just go a little nutsy that's probably a good word for
0: her <laughs> uh, let's see what else on this one uh I like Art Matrano's beard.
3: I yeah, you too
0: I think he's got a good beard. I like um, the uh, him and him and Dolly have a yeah thing where he believes she cheated at a poker tournament, and they're sort of at odds till about halfway through when they suddenly become pals and start helping out, which is a nice little uh, side plot. Uh, let's see, Claude Akins hurts his hand. And, oh, what did you think? What? What? what so let let's go to, let's go to the ending. So, spoilers folks so okay. the, in the in the ending what happens is um you know uh uh Beaumark is cheating but uh thanks to Charlie Miller um lavender is cheating also and lavender wins and he wins all of Beaumark's money the two million dollars and so now Beaumark has nothing to pay Morel with and so uh um, uh lavender is leaving oh,
3: and this is what this is horrible, this ending. I, You know, when you said it, I was like, you know, I'm getting all these episodes mixed up, and I can't remember how it ends, <laughs> but it's got a horrible ending.
0: Do you want to – do you want to – uh, I, I,
3: Well, do, I think you'll wanna... have to explain that how, how it plays out because I can't remember exactly. I just remember the ultimate bang, if you will.
0: So um, uh, they get in an elevator, and uh, two goons join him in the elevator and uh, I think Frank is one of the goons if that's his name I keep calling him Frank and the elevator's been rigged to kind of go crazy and like plummet or something but it ends up with Lavender like falling down and hitting his head against the wall and he's got like a blood pack in the back of his head so when Frank and this other goon lean over they're like oh this guy's it wasn't his lucky day and they take the briefcase and they leave but Lavender was kidding, and he's actually stashed the briefcase—the real one—in like a hidden uh, uh, hole, cubbyhole thing in in the elevator. And Frank just Yeah, is and be how did trouble. they not
3: see? How did they not see him switch that? I,
0: I bet mean, I know Casey, the are going Casey was hiding in there and did that.
3: Yeah, must've. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how he did that either. Um, unless, unless as it was plummeting he knew that they'd be sort of looking up or looking at the numbers or something, so he just took a second <laughs> to hide it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But, um, uh, so what happens is, uh, uh, Frank takes the briefcase back to um, Beaumark and Volner, uh, the KGB guy, and they open it up, and in fact it is Beaumark Fun Bucks. It's all fake money. And they all kind of look at one another, and then Volmer pulls out his gun, and in cold blood shoots Frank, and then Beaumark dead. And...
3: Yeah! Yeah! I yes. couldn't believe that. It was horrible.
0: <laughs> That's KGB for That's you.
3: That's horrible. Yeah, oh my god! It, I was shocked at like all the dead bodies in this one. <laughs>
0: yeah, and it, it was. Um, I, I I guess I understood sort of why Volmer did that, but it seems a bit overreaction. To hey, you know what? We <laughs> were cheating. We, we were cheating. If he beat us, he was probably cheating. And he just tricked us again. Why shoot us? But Volmer is, yeah, he's he's a bit. He can be a bit of a hothead.
3: I don't think I don't think Bauchner, uh deserved that ending.
0: I agree that that it's, I mean it's,
3: they they discredited that big in the pilot, right? The guy that they discredit the KGB guy. Don't they just discredit yes. him and he just goes on to live another day? Does it? I mean, yes. we're gonna weigh the crimes. Of these yeah. people, don't you think that Bonark is just—he's like—he's like a priest compared to some of these people.
0: Yes, yeah.
4: And it's and he, like
3: he did not deserve to get shot that way.
0: I, I don't know. I yeah. It 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 is a very strange moment, and it it just seems a bit too. It, it's, a, it's a, it seems a bit too pat because that gets rid of the main henchman, the main bad guy, and then later on they say Volmer's been arrested for killing them. So it kind of makes it a little <laughs> too... A <laughs> had, it, it wraps it up a little too yeah. much. Uh,
3: you know what? It's like it's like the end of um, um, Cannibal Holocaust, isn't it? Who are the real savages?
0: Who, yes, yes, yeah. And then we can all go, oh, you know oh I, mean? I get it, yes. Mm, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. It's just like Cannibal Holocaust*. It's like where Guillermo Diodato directed this episode. Of yes,
0: Mercury.
4: yeah, or, and that's or, what or, I
3: see. Because because *House on the Edge of the Park* has the exact same. Who's the real psychopath? Yes. Right. So that's basically what they're doing here. It's like I think I think whoever directed this episode, Sidney <laughs> Hayes, I think that's a pseudonym for Guillermo Diodato.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I buy that. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then it has the the actual final. Well, the final scene is everyone hanging out playing the roulette wheel, and Mavis is now a, a gambler. And now that and everybody's dead. Now that everyone's dead, all the bad guys are dead. I mean, if if that was how it was going to end up, why not just shoot them all anyways? You know, just just end up. Uh, more, yeah, more. more know.
3: Why have? Why, why, why do, do a big ch- con like that if you're just going to kill them?
0: Yes, and, and it it actually what it actually ends with is. Um, uh, uh, Casey and Danny arrive at the golf course play a couple of holes and then they go to see Morell and Morell is sitting in his limo with smart eyes in a briefcase and they hand him a briefcase set it down on top of smart eyes
4: oh, that's right
0: and then he, he's like okay and he cracks it open expecting two million dollars but there's this huge red device in there and he's like what's this that's an electromagnet and it just wiped out everything important (laughs) in smart eyes. He's like, what? And he pushes the electromagnet aside, opens up the briefcase, and the camera's just a smoking mess. I don't quite know if that's the way those things work, but I bought those cards that you could see through, so I buy this. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. It's just what a weird episode. I mean, I really liked it. I'm not gonna lie, it's really entertaining. But when you break it down and you think about the sort of bloodletting, <laughs>
4: yes.
3: this is like this is like that movie Blood Massacre. It's a massacre of blood. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just you know what I mean. It's like it's crazy. See, the thing yeah. about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that you no know, people are gonna get killed with the chainsaw. But when you call it a blood massacre, you're killing people with blood.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you, yeah, it's a little up in the air. You're not. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, it is. This, you have to kind of figure it out for yourself.
0: And this, when you when you have, I mean, I guess a um a KGB agent is almost like the um introducing the the gun on the mantelpiece in the first act. You know, the KGB agent is going to do something in the final act. You just don't know what. And uh, in this one, he ends up shooting Frank and Frank and Frank and Beaumark, Who I kept thinking, I I kept thinking this. The, fir- the first few times they said his name until you see his name on the credits when because it starts off with like an American guy talking to someone about this and then Beaumark's men show up and sh- kill all of them on a golf course and like, more bloodletting um and uh, but but the first few times they said beaumark's name I thought they were saying boner and I thought that's a strange name for a, <laughs> for, for a bad guy but there you go
3: I was gonna say, wouldn't it be really great if there was a, a show in Russia that was the Russian version of Masquerade, and it was the Russians? We watch the Russians do what they're gonna do while we, while in America we're watching Lavender. So over there they have like purple, right, and whatever you call them, and how we say that in Russian. And um, and then he's got his two little cohorts, and then we see how they try to set up cons.
0: Yeah, that that would be fun. And whenever whenever like a CIA agent shows up, he's always like a big dumb cowboy or something like that. Well, yeah, I'm an yeah, American yeah, yeah, yeah. and I I'm here for the money. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Uh let's see. What else do you have on this? I'm gonna
3: I don't think I have anything else to say. I think we covered I mean it's a very simple episode. It's got a lot yeah. of good actors in it. It has a surprisingly shocking amount of murder. And um And it's got a really sweet moment between a guy who's going to be dead in 20 minutes and Casey.
0: Yes. yeah, And and for being an episode that has the reunion of of Sheriff Lobo and, and B.J. McKay and has some slightly wacky music playing during the car chase and has Mavis being goofy, yeah, there's a lot of murder in this episode. And, yeah, it's, and it's funny, right at the, right at the beginning, I was, because they were on a golf course, right at the beginning, you know something is going to happen. And I was really, ho- what basically happens is, they're all sort of standing around golfing, and this one guy has like four bodyguards behind him. And then all of a sudden, like three of Beaumark's men with guns kind of run up a hill and start shooting everyone. I was hoping a ninja. Was going to show up and start yeah. killing everyone. Yeah, I just thought
3: of that when you said that. that yeah, and then he burrows been... himself into like one of the one of the mounds. Yeah, down. Is that what he does? Yes, uh, yes, he, like yes, kind he of does.
0: He himself into the ground. Yes, he does. Yeah, Ninja yes,
3: Three, yeah. yes, uh, it's got everything. Uh,
0: it really, it really does. It's it's one, it's one to go for, folks. Uh, so I guess if we are. Um, If we are all done chatting about winnings, Uh, Amanda, what are you up to? Where can we find you? What's going on?
3: You can find me at Made for TV Mayhem on Twitter and Instagram. And you can look for me at Made for TV Mayhem on Facebook or at the May for TV Mayhem show, which is the podcast I do with Dan and our friend Nathan Johnson. Um, I guess what's come out recently is I did, uh, some commentaries that came out, um, just this week. So I did the commentary for the prey with my friend, Ewan Kant, yeah. and the not video. Uh, yeah, which was a lot of fun. And I was really excited about that. And I also did a solo commentary for a movie coming out through Kino Lober. It's out now called death dreams, the TV movie with Christopher Reeve and Mark Helgenberger. That's really good. um, and I guess since it's been announced we can start telling people that the Made for TV Mayhem show is doing their first commentary yes. it is coming out on December 3rd through Kino Lorber, the movie's called Amazons, which is a 1984 TV movie about Amazon warriors who work at a hospital and <laughs> are trying to take <laughs> over the world, it's really really fun it stars Madeline Stowe and Jennifer Warren um, and it was directed by Paul Michael Glazer, who you know is from Starsky Notch. and so keep a lookout for that and I think that's pretty much everything
0: Thank you so much again. Winnings. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's a fun episode. There's a lot of murder. And uh, that's Masquerade for you. Uh, we are going to... Actually, this is the end of the episode, folks. Join me after this little blast of music for the end. Talk to you soon. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me just give you a few places where you can find us. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher reviews and likes and commendations and commissions and that, i don't know that anything is greatly appreciated and always helps addy Supertrain one on twitter eventually Supertrain on facebook eventually super train dot blogspot.com you can email me email me at danny d-a-n-n-y slacks s-l-a-c-k-s at yahoo.com and, again, thank you so much for listening. And, yeah, Episode 78 will be here soon. Uh, we're getting near the end of Erie, Indiana. Um, we're kind of getting near the end of Adventure Super Train 2, but not quite as near the end. But uh, And, Review, we still got a lot left. And, yeah. Um, Yeah, and you did hear right in this episode, um, after uh, 76 episodes of beginning and ending with random music and ads and all kinds of craziness, and occasionally me singing. Do you remember when I used to sing? (sighs) Gosh, where did Tom go? Where has the Tom gone? Gone, gone, gone. You may have noticed that this episode didn't begin with music or anything. Is it going to end with that? Well, listen to this.